Day 28 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Sunday lesson part two. If you're with us in real time, welcome back to Bible study. And if you are new here, please let us know where you are in the world, where you're watching from, how you found this Bible study. We hope that it can be a blessing to your life. If you need any information, you can always find it in the description box below the video or in the show notes if you're with us in podcast and also in our website, heartdive.org. Lots of information there. That's our one-stop shop. Everything that you need can be found there, including extra resources that we have available where you can download some of our heart checks and the prayers that we say at the end of each video. But if you've been with us for a while, if you've been a part of this family, could you please help us out by giving this video a thumbs up, hit that like button. That is your way of just grabbing our hand and saying, I like this family. These are my people. And don't forget to hit that notification bell as well if you want to know when each podcast comes out each day. Otherwise, let's go ahead and jump into the word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the breath of life that we have, for the opportunity to be able to know you, to love you, to serve you, to commune with you, to hear your voice. I pray that that is exactly what will happen today. Lord, will you open up our ears and tune our frequency with yours? I pray that you will drown out all other voices, any other lies that the enemy might try to tell us, anything that we might be holding on to, Lord, that is distracting us from being completely present with you. Open up our eyes, Lord, to be able to see you accurately. I pray that you will speak through me, Lord. Please help me to get out of the way. I pray that my flesh will not distract what you are trying to do. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Please forgive us, Lord, for our sins, anything that we have done that has been displeasing to you. Will you help us to make it right, God? We want to live in obedience to you. And so I just pray that you will reveal things to us where we may not have seen that we have gone off the path. Help us also to forgive others so that we can continue to share your love and grace and forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So we left off in chapter 45 with Jacob finding out that Joseph is still alive and now he is going to head on out to Egypt. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So we're starting off here with worship. Before Jacob goes anywhere, he knows that this is what he needs to do. This is his Chevron. He needs to fill up gas. Beersheba, remember I told you it's a place of significance. I mean, this was the place where Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. This is where Isaac also built an altar and received a special promise on his life. It is the place that was marked by their family, where they knew that they could go for these kinds of special moments. So heart check, do you have a special place carved out for your time of worship? What is your place? Let us know in the comments. Like, do you have a special room? Do you have a prayer closet? You don't have to. I mean, yesterday I was in my car in the parking lot of Barnes and Noble doing my devotions as I waited for my daughter at gymnastics. So you can worship anywhere. But yet I have a special place where when everything else around me seems so uncertain, this is the place that I can come to where I can be at peace, where I know it's going to be quiet and distraction free and my time to spend with the Lord. What does yours look like? Tell us in the comments. Verse two, and God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, as he did before. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. So you will see here that he will go back and forth between calling him Jacob and Israel. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father, 
do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So this tells us that he probably did have a little bit of fear, some human fear, which is okay. Fear is natural. It's what we do with that fear, though. If it starts to paralyze us, that's where we really need to work hard to get out of it. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So the fact that God is speaking to Jacob here, remember we were talking about the difference between when the name of Jacob will be used in contrast to when Israel is used. Well, here we're kind of seeing that negative connotation being lifted up because he called him Jacob, yet he's speaking a promise. He's reaffirming that promise on his life. So this is a positive way of him using Jacob's name. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his son's sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters, and all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now, these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. Simeon and Judah are the only sons who actually married Canaanites. Joseph, of course, married an Egyptian. All of the other sons stayed within their clans. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These three sons will actually be the ones who form the Levites or the Levitical family. It will be specifically through Kohath where the line of the priests come because that is where Moses and Aaron come from. Verse 12, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But of course, we know that Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamel. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jaliel. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram, together with his daughters Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. So notice that it is the ch children of Leah who are named first. Does this hold more significance other than the fact that Leah bore him his first children? I believe so, because of course it is through Leah where Jesus will come from. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Eri, Aradai, and Aralai. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvai, Bariah, with Sirah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. Now the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupin, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. Now all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his son's own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. Now the number six is the number for man. I believe in a past video, I think I said the number eight was the number of flesh. So I do need to make that correction, which we will have a correction video at the end of the month. But I figured I'd go 
ahead and let you know here that the number six is actually the number of the flesh or man. So if you want to go back and make that correction, if you did write that down, number eight is actually the number of new beginnings. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Now the number seven is the number of perfection. So this number 70, scholars say, is considered to be a special blessing. So 66 came out of Canaan, 70 going into Egypt, including Joseph and his family. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph. So notice that Judah, again, is now in the leadership position, not Reuben, the firstborn, to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Now, Goshen means draw near. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face and know that you are still alive. So this is sort of his moment of closure or his crowning moment. Yet God is going to give him a good 17 more years to live anyway. Verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So in Egypt, it was a caste system and shepherds were at the bottom of that. And it was so separated that people wouldn't even touch the shepherds. I mean, they wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't even want to live near them. And so Joseph has a plan here. He is using this cultural prejudice as a way to be able to preserve their ethnic and spiritual identity. So he's wanting them to be set apart from the world of Egypt. And in the end here, we see Jacob taking this journey in faith. I mean, he's trusting in the word that his son has spoken, saying that he has prepared a place for him. Does it sound familiar? I mean, this is the same way that Jesus tells us that he is going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And our life is just like this journey that Jacob is taking. You see, we trust the voice of the son who promises to be with us in this journey, to provide for us, to protect us until we are called home. Chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And this place of Goshen was fertile. It was well watered. So it was the perfect place for them to live, really ideal for all of the flocks that they had with them. Verse two, and from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So Joseph knew that he was going to ask this question. And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. So they are doing exactly what Joseph told them to do and say. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. So they are saying, we are only living here temporarily. We are just passing through. We are pilgrims, just the same way that this life on earth is temporary. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. 
So again, we see how much favor Joseph has in the house of Pharaoh. Verse seven, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What? The visitor blessing the host? I mean, traditionally, the greater would be the one to bless the lesser. And in the eyes of Pharaoh, he is not about to say that he is lesser in the eyes of anybody. He believes he himself is a god. And so did the Egyptian people. Yet here we see Jacob being obedient to the promise and likely the prompting of the Spirit to be a blessing to the nations. And this amazes me because he could have just shown up and then ridden off into the sunset. Again, what a difference we see in his character from being one who used to just take and take to now being so generous in his heart. So heart check. When you show up somewhere, do you look for ways to be a blessing or do you only show up to receive. Verse 8, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. To put it shortly, my life has been pretty miserable. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. This gives us a picture, of course, of God, our provider. He will give us everything that we need. Verse 13, Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. So this tells us that everyone has come to buy grain and all of their money has run out. And Joseph brought the money in into Pharaoh's house. So this shows what an honest worker Joseph was. He's not keeping the money for himself or his family. He is bringing it to Pharaoh. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes for our money is gone? And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. So in other words, we have nothing left. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. So here we see a picture in this time of national crisis where the central government is starting to gain power. As for the people, he made servants of them from the end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them, and therefore they did not sell their land. Now, these are not godly priests. These would have been pagan priests. 
Verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, you've saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So here you can see that the people are so grateful just to be alive. They have no problem giving 20% of their earnings to Pharaoh. Now, I think a lot of us would actually say, boy, I sure wish we could go back to the days of 20% taxation. So, Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly, as promised by God. And there was someone who actually did a calculation that this growth would have been about 6% per year. This would have been Henry Morris who made this calculation. And he's going backwards because we will see in the 400 years that pass, they will increase to about two to three million people. So if you work backwards, that shows about a 6% growth per year. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. So he's doing here the same kind of binding oath that Abraham did with his servant. And this saying, deal kindly and truly with me, would have been the utmost covenant loyalty that would have been given during this kind of oath. And remember, this would allow for that undivided attention during this time. And so he says, do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So in the end, we see the benefit of how Joseph has wisely managed both his position and the land. And therefore, whenever crisis hits, both Egypt and his family, they not only survived, but they prospered. And while this is on a greater scale, we've all been given a portion in our own lives and an opportunity to do well with it. So heart check, how well are you managing what you've been given? How would you fare if crisis were to hit? And we'll continue in the questions with our deep dive. What is the significance of the genealogical record in chapter 46? How might we as Christians define ourselves in order to be set apart from the world without being self-righteous? Do you recognize God's divine guidance and provision today? How is the idea of a central government gaining power in times of crisis significant today and to the end times? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your promise and for your protection and for your provision. Because we have this, we don't need to fear anything. But we also see the importance today in wisely managing whatever we currently have so that if the day of crisis hits, whether it be nationally, communally, or even just spiritually, we won't be left scrambling. Show us, Lord, how we can be good stewards of the gifts we've been given. And I pray that we will be discerning of the times with eyes wide open to what might be ahead, but always fixed on you. 
And just as you told Jacob, we know that we don't need to fear for you are with us. We know that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. So if you should ever tell us, Lord, to get up and go, I pray that we will be faithful the way that Jacob was. No matter what the circumstance looks like, no matter what we have to leave behind, we know that it is for your greater purpose. And I pray that we will find a space that is sacred, one where we are able to come to worship. We know we can worship anywhere, Lord, but sometimes we need a place to return to when everything around us seems to be so uncertain. We are excited, Lord, to continue to learn and to see the significance behind this foundational family. Every single one of them were a part of your grand plan and purpose. So may we never glance over any part of your spoken word, any name, because we know that if we do that, it declares it insignificant. Thank you, Jesus, for being our advocate and our mediator. It is only by you that we have access to the Father, and we are so grateful for that. I pray that we will always appeal to you for our sanctification and the ability to be set apart from the world. We know that we are sojourners in this life, just passing through, and this is just a temporary home. But it isn't a reason to be indifferent or apathetic. And so I pray that while we're here, we will also be fruitful and multiply greatly, especially in building the family of God. I pray that we too will be a blessing everywhere we go, always looking for ways that we can honor and serve others. Because we know that when we do that, we will carry and reflect your heart of kindness and generosity. So continue to draw us close to you, Lord, so that we can be more like you. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.